Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> it's November 25th, 2017, and that means there's only one month left until Christmas. Today on the show, we're finally going to talk about a film that you may have heard a little bit about this year, Die Hard. Then you're going to vote on whether or not it's a Christmas movie. We'll also take a look at Christmas albums coming out this year, count down the top five songs from John Denver and the Muppets, and before we're done, we're going to announce the winner of last month's contest. Okay, let's start the show! Season's greetings! It's official! Thanksgiving is over, the leftovers are in the fridge, and it's officially the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah. There's no more things they can throw in our way. We can celebrate loud and proud, full-throated and filled with merriment. Put up the tree, hang up the lights, and crank up those carols. And if you're in the mood to try some new Christmas music this year, then you'll love our first segment, We Need a Little Christmas, now! We need a... This was actually inspired by a Facebook message I got from Amy. She writes, Hi, Tim. Hi, Amy. First off, I have to say how much I love this podcast. I discovered it a few months ago, and I have finally caught up. It's so great. Thank you so much for creating it. Thank you so much for listening to it. I'm not sure if I'm sending this in time for this month's recording, but I wanted to suggest some other Christmas music that I haven't heard mentioned yet. 90s boy bands. Smiley face emoji. Now I know what you're thinking. But just give them a chance. 98 Degrees and NSYNC had excellent Christmas albums. They really can sing, and they have great harmonies. I wasn't even a regular fan of theirs, because I was all for Backstreet Boys, lol. But I have their Christmas albums. Also, Hanson, yes, that Hanson, had a great album called Snowed In. It's really wonderful if you can get past their little kid voices. I was a kid myself then, so I have no problem still listening to it. However, if you're wanting adult voices, then you're in luck. Hanson is releasing a brand new Christmas album on October 27th, 2017. I'd love it if you could give these boy banders a mention of some sort. I'm sure I'm not the only 90s kid listening to your podcast. Thanks again and keep up the great work. Merry Christmas. Christmas tree emoji. Amy. Well, obviously I didn't get to this in time for the October show, but we will certainly revisit the idea of boy band Christmas albums in the future. However, the mention of Hanson's new Christmas album made me think that we could highlight some of the new Christmas music that's come out in 2017. In addition to Hanson, if you wanted to get a little more boy band action, 98 Degrees released a new album this year called Let It Snow. Maybe you're more of a country music fan. Well, you've got a lot to choose from. You got Reba McIntyre's My Kind of Christmas, Cheap Trick's Christmas Christmas, The Album's So Nice, They Named It Twice. Then you got Alabama's American Christmas, and Blake Shelton is flexing those sexiest Man Alive muscles and re-releasing his Cheers It's Christmas album with a new song, a duet with his lady friend Gwen Stefani. Speaking of Gwen Stefani, she's got her own Christmas album out this year called You Make It Feel Like Christmas. American Idol's Fantasia has a new album out this year called Christmas After Midnight. Now, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's called Boxing Day, but, you know, do what you do. Josh Groban is putting out a deluxe edition of his Christmas album, Noel. What makes it deluxe? Six new songs! Deluxe! Then there's Sia. I don't know what Sia is, 
But Sia has an album called Every Day is Christmas, which is certainly a sentiment I can get behind. Then there's Lindsay Sterling's Warmer in the Winter, where you can hear her versions of Christmas favorites on the violin. Wait, she's a violin player? And she's got her own album? That's such an inspiration to all those band nerds out there. Keep dreaming, kids. If someone could get famous for playing the violin, maybe you can get famous for playing that clarinet. But anyway, that's my list. Let me know if I missed any. Or if you got any of these albums, what did you think? Drop us a comment at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. Now, let's move from new Christmas albums to a classic Christmas album in today's Five Golden Things. Muppet-vember! A tradition we've developed here at the podcast where each November we dedicate a part of the show to our fabulous felt friends. Isn't that right, imaginary listener who sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog? Hey, don't bring me into this. Disney owns the Muppets now, and we don't want any lawsuits. Fair enough. Well, our first year we talked about the Muppetverse crossover event, A Muppet Family Christmas. Last year we had Jeff and Kristen from the Nostalgia podcast on to talk about A Muppet Christmas Carol. This year, I'm going to share my top five favorite songs from the album John Denver and the Muppets, A Christmas Together. It's the soundtrack album to the ABC special of the same name, but don't be fooled. The versions on the soundtrack are actually different than the ones in the special. Some are different versions, and some songs on the special aren't on the album, and vice versa. So we'll look at the special another day, but let's get this countdown started with... Number 5! 12 Days of Christmas! And a partridge in a pear tree On the 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me It's the first track on the album, so why not the first one on our list? This is one of the few versions of 12 Days of Christmas that I can listen to all the way through. Highlights are Miss Piggy's over-the-top performance every time we get to her five gold rings line, and I also think it's odd that Kermit is 12 drummers drumming, which means he only gets one verse. You'd think the star of the Muppets could get a better part in this song. Number four, Silent Night. this year when we did our episode about the history of the song Silent Night, I played a little of this song. Not only do the Muppets make a surprisingly beautiful chorus, but John Denver actually tells the story of how the song Silent Night came to be. Who says felt can't make you feel? Number three. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Another lovely slow song. This time it's only Ralph, John, and a piano. Even though Kermit is the one people most associate with Jim Henson, Ralph was actually his first successful Muppet character. His gravelly voice adds a texture to the song and provides a great contrast to John Denver's smooth tones. Number two. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. This is actually the first song off this album I'd heard. Back in my radio days, I was cruising the catalog for some Christmas music, and I found this gem. It's Gonzo, Robin, Scooter, and Miss Piggy singing the song in a round. I actually thought the Muppets had made up this song, but apparently it's a nursery rhyme put to music. Who knew? Honorable mentions! 
Medley, Alfie the Christmas Tree, Carol for a Christmas Tree, and It's in Every One of Us. It's in every one of us by and by. This is a fun one where John Denver tells the story of a Christmas tree who wanted to stay in the woods to be with nature, but it also includes It's in Every One of Us, which is a song that would later feature in The Muppet Family Christmas. Number one, a Christmas wish. I don't know if you believe in Christmas or if you have presents underneath the Christmas tree. But if you I didn't discover this one until I finally bought this album a few years back. Yes, kids, I still buy physical copies of my music. I'm old, and I don't plan on getting any younger. Anyway, I immediately fell in love with this song about the sharing the spirit of Christmas with others. For me, it feels like the opposite message of this whole yelling at people for saying happy holidays. The song basically reaches out to everyone and says, come celebrate with me. I think that's a fantastic message, and Kermit is a fantastic messenger. my list. Did I leave off any of your favorites? Let me know. Shoot me an email at christmas at tancast.com. And now it's time to move on to our main feature tonight, a movie we've been debating all year, but we haven't really talked about. That's right. Before we vote on whether or not it's a Christmas movie, let's talk about Die Hard. As we found out last time, there are people out there who have never seen this movie. Looking at you, Kristen and Becky from the Mousealgia podcast. So here's a brief synopsis. A New York cop comes out to L.A. for his estranged wife's company Christmas party and ends up trapped in the building with terrorists and hostages. And he has to try and save the day. They've got the building. They have already killed one hostage. They've got the odds. They've got his wife. No, no! Now, he's got one night to get it all back. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay. Bruce Willis in 40 Stories of Sheer Adventure. Die Hard, Rated R. The cop is John McClane, played by Bruce Willis. But that was almost not the case. The role was first offered to Frank Sinatra. Wait, what? That's right. The movie Die Hard is adapted from the 1979 book Nothing Lasts Forever. That book was inspired when the author saw the movie The Towering Inferno, but it's a sequel to the book The Detective. Now, The Detective was also made into a movie back in 1968 starring... Frank Sinatra? You guessed it! Frank Sinatra. Old Blue Eyes would have been 73 when Die Hard came out in 1988. That may be why he turned it down. So then, the studio reworked the script. And it became the movie we know as Die Hard? Yep. Not quite yet. Arnold Schwarzenegger, what are you doing here? 
telling you the most interesting part about Die Hard's journey to the screen. You see, after Sinatra turned it down, they reworked it into a sequel to my movie, Commando. That's right, this was almost my movie. All those memorable lines could have been mine. Welcome to the party, pal. Wait a second. How could the same thing happen to the same guy twice? That's not even in this movie. yippee ki No, that's enough. This is a persistent rumor floating around, but it was shot down by Steven D'Souza, the screenwriter of both Commando and Die Hard. He said, I don't know how this story started on the internet. It's completely wrong. Die Hard is based on a novel called Nothing Lasts Forever by the author Roderick Thorpe, which is a sequel to his early book, The Detective. In fact, a good bar bet, if you want to make some cash, is to ask someone, who was the first actor to play John McClane and in what movie? They will say Bruce Willis in Die Hard, and you say, no, Frank Sinatra in The Detective, and then run before you get beat up. Interestingly, 20th Century Fox had to contractually offer Bruce Willis's part in Die Hard to Frank Sinatra because it was a sequel to the original book. Fortunately for Bruce, he said, I'm too old and too rich to act anymore. Oh, well, this is awkward. Well, they did still offer you the part at one point, I believe. So why did you turn it down? I was busy making the classics Twins and Red Heat. Yeah, classics. Anyway, they offered the role to Burt Reynolds, who also passed on it. Finally, they offered it to Bruce Willis, who had to turn it down. What? Yep. Bruce Willis was filming the TV series Moonlighting at the time, and they wouldn't let him out of his contract. But Bruce is in the movie. Much like Christmas itself, we owe it all to a pregnant lady. Sybil Shepard, Bruce's co-star in Moonlighting, got pregnant. So the show went on a break, and Bruce was able to work Die Hard into his schedule. Speaking of people who initially turned Die Hard down, let's talk about director John McTiernan. He turned down the script at first because the bad guys were originally just straightforward terrorists. McTiernan thought it would be too dark, there'd be all these political implications, and it would be harder to enjoy the film on an action level. So his first change was to make the terrorists into robbers. Now it's a heist movie. As McTiernan puts it, it adds some humor or joy to this story. In fact, he picked a piece of classical music that he asked the composer to incorporate into the score, and he later found out it was literally called Ode to Joy. The other change McTiernan made was to the character of John McClane. Originally, he was supposed to be your typical 80s super cop, the kind of guy that Arnold or Sly Stallone would play. But McTiernan said McClane should just be a regular guy. He's not a big mountain of muscles. He's a vulnerable human being whose feet would get cut on broken glass. It makes him easier to root for because you get more invested in him and his arc. So with those changes to the script, they were ready to begin. Although it should be noted that the script wasn't actually finished when they began filming. So they didn't actually know how the movie would end. For instance, Argyle, the limo driver who picks John up from the airport, they didn't know he'd be the one to foil the robber's getaway plan. In fact, they didn't even know what the escape plan would be. The idea that they'd snuck in an ambulance inside the delivery truck wasn't decided until well into filming. Which is why when you first see the delivery truck, you may think, there's no room for an ambulance in there. You're right. They had no idea there was an ambulance in there at the time they filmed it. Speaking of last-minute changes, producer Joel Silver was adamant that the hero and the villain meet before the finale. McTiernan and the writers said that wouldn't be possible because as soon as they met, one would kill the other and the movie would be over. Then, one day, Joel heard Alan Rickman doing his versions of American accents, and he realized that's how he could make it work. So he spent three hours drafting the scene on a typewriter, and that's how we get the scene where John McClane and Hans Gruber face off. Hi there. How you doing? Whoa, 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 relax. Relax. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm not gonna hurt you. 
This was actually Rickman's first film. McTiernan and Silver saw him in his Tony-nominated stage performance of Dangerous Liaisons and decided he would be perfect as Gruber. Fun fact about Rickman, the scene where he falls to his death at the end... Uh, spoilers? Look, there are three sequels. You have to know the bad guys don't win in this movie. Wait, I, I thought there were four sequels. No, there are three sequels. But a few years ago, a movie came out where John McClane and his son went to Russia. There are three sequels! Okay, Captain Picard, why don't you just continue with your story? Thanks, I will. Anyway, you may have noticed what a great performance Alan Rickman gives as he's being dropped out of the window. Well, that's because it's real fear on his face. They had him rigged in a quick-release harness, and he actually fell 25 feet down into an airbag. They told him they were going to drop him on the count of three, but instead, the stunt coordinator changed it and dropped him on one. This may surprise you, but Alan was not too happy about that. But the result is a really great scene of Gruber falling off Nakatomi Tower. Speaking of the tower, the building they shot in is a real building in L.A. and it's owned by 20th Century Fox. It was still under construction at the time, so those scenes where McLean is running around in the parts of the building that look like they're under construction, those are real. They were under construction. But for some reason, Fox actually charged the production rent to use the building. I guess they didn't know how big a movie Die Hard would be. We kind of take it for granted now, but Die Hard has become the gold standard of action films. Whenever someone describes a movie where the hero has to fight off a bunch of bad guys in a confined environment, they call it Die Hard on a blank. I'll let the folks from Honest Trailers help me out with this one. So experience the original masterpiece that inspired countless knockoffs like Die Hard on a bus, Speed, Die Hard in a tunnel, Daylight, Die Hard on a mountain, Cliffhanger, Die Hard in the White House, Olympus Die Hard fallen. in the White House 2, White House Die down? Hard in a mall, Paul Blart Mark Die Hard on a boat, Speed 2, Die Hard on this other boat, Under Siege, Die Hard in a ring, Sudden Death, Die Hard on a train, Under Siege 2, Die Hard in a plane, Passenger 57, Die Hard in another plane, Executive Decision, Die Hard in the President's plane, Air Force 1, Die Hard in a plane with snakes. Snakes on a plane. Die hard but awful. To your contract in that phone. There was not another Die Hard movie after Die Hard 4. Can we get this guy some cocoa or something? He needs to relax. Well, anyway, speaking of the honest trailer for Die Hard, let's rewind it to the beginning to see what they say about Die Hard. This holiday season, revisit the greatest Christmas movie ever made. Oh, oh. Yeah, you heard me, It's a Wonderful Life. Die hard. So that's a pretty strong opinion, and it brings us to the reason we're here today. We're going to answer the question, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? It's Christmas Eve in L.A. Welcome to the party, pal! Die Hard, a Christmas movie! I'm glad voting time is finally here, but I will miss this part of the show. It's been so great reading everyone's opinions. Listener Brian even created the Linus Test, a litmus test for whether or not a movie can be qualified as a Christmas movie, which even found a home on another podcast. So before we vote yippee or yippee let's check in with your opinions one last time on why Die Hard is or isn't a Christmas movie. Luella shared a Facebook event from the TLC Chinese Theater, and she says, TLC Chinese Theater in Hollywood believes it's a holiday season classic. And the description they posted for their event says, a holiday season classic returns to the big screen for one night only. And Ron shared one of those image memes that are going around on Facebook, and this one said, favorite Christmas movie? And then it had numbered pictures with images from movies like Christmas Vacation, It's a Wonderful Life, Elf, and lo and behold, number 11 is Die Hard. The comments got pretty heated, but there did seem to be a lot of yippee ki in that comment section. 
Michael sent us a dish commercial on Facebook and said, I saw a commercial for a certain TV provider that suggested that Santa's favorite Christmas movie was Die Hard. I think this is a strong argument against Die Hard being a Christmas movie. If the big corporations are trying to get us to buy their services with the illusion of it being such, we know it to be false. We all know we can't trust the TV companies. Anyone who forces you to pay for 100 channels when you only watch 10 clearly can't be trusted. Just saying. So that's two yippee and one yippee nay on Facebook. Now let's check the old email inbox. Santa Babby is gonna read some emails from no, you. No, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, sorry. We're not doing the email segment right now. This is still the great diehard debate. Here's an email from Kevin who says... Hello, Tim. Love your podcast. It brings so much cheer my way when I need it most. I wanted to say a quick word about Die Hard being a Christmas movie or not. Christmas means so many different things to so many people that Die Hard can be a Christmas movie and not a Christmas movie, depending on your view of the greatest holiday ever. Because of that, I don't think this argument will ever be resolved. But that doesn't mean that we can't debate the topic. I, for one, am on the yippee ki yay side. It's set at Christmas, has a Christmas party, and has Christmas jokes. Christmas all the way. I wish you the best, and Merry Christmas. Very nice, Kevin. Then we've got one from Ron. Wait, is this the same Ron from Facebook? You cheeky kid. You found a way to get into this segment twice. Well done, Ron. Well, Ron says, Hello, Tim. I have been listening to the Die Hard debate on your podcast for several months now. And to be honest, I don't remember if I sent my opinion or not. I wanted to lend my voice, if I haven't already. Die Hard is a Christmas movie on so many levels. One, Christmas party and Christmas music. B, there are Christmas decorations and presents. And three, it ends with a happy ending. So there. Now I have an even more important question, though. Is Gremlins a Christmas movie? In my opinion, yes again for all the same reasons as Die Hard. Thanks a lot for a fun podcast. I really look forward to the 25th of each month. Carpy Kingdom. Oops, sorry. Wrong podcast. Yeah, not only is that the wrong podcast, you can't start up a whole new Christmas debate before we finish this one. Gremlins is another discussion for another day. Thanks, Ron. Then we've got Sharon from Idaho who writes... I have been firmly yippee ki nay since you started this debate, until tonight when I saw this ad for a local classic movies group. I thought you would appreciate it. I guess even if you don't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, it's one of those movies that is played every Christmas, and seeing it in your local listings lets you know that it's that time of year again. Time for ugly Christmas sweaters, Christmas carols, and friendly debates with friends and family on Christmas topics. Topics such as, white lights or colored lights? Is Last Christmas by Wham really a Christmas song? And of course, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? So every Christmas, you will see It's a Wonderful Life, A Christmas Story, and Die Hard in your Christmas movie TV lineups. Which means that it isn't really Christmas until you yell, Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls, or you shoot your eye out with a Red Rider BB gun, or until Hans Gruber falls off Nakatomi Tower. It isn't about the movie itself, but the time of year it's played. Based on this reasoning, I am painfully forced to change my vote to Yippee-Ki-Yay! Ouch! She wrote ouch in parentheses. It takes a big person to take in new information and change their opinion. I admire you for following your logical instincts, Sharon. Then we've got one from perhaps our most famous iTunes reviewer, Taylor. Tim, first, I think it's hilarious that my small criticism has made me a villain to my fellow listeners. Great stuff. Without that clicking sound, the outtakes would be fine. Garsh. She wrote Garsh, goofy style. Second, Die Hard has to be a Christmas movie. If there's any hint of Christmas, we have to say it's a Christmas movie. Christmas is not about exclusion. The spirit of Christmas can't be so constrained. Otherwise, we become Christmas censors, and that is an awful road to go down. Best wishes, Taylor. Thank you, Taylor. All kidding aside, you are not a villain. You are a Christmas lover like the rest of us, and I am very happy that you enjoy this show. Well, most of the show. Tee-hee! <laughs> But if this is all sounding too one-sided to you, don't worry. I've got a yippee ki nay in here, too. It's from Charlene. 
Hello, I just found your podcast, and I am very happy I did. I love Christmas so much, so I truly enjoy your monthly celebration of the holiday, and I am currently going back and listening to all of the episodes. By the way, I enjoy the outtakes as well. It cracks me up. LOL. My two cents on the Die Hard debate. While I do like the movie a lot, it is not a Christmas movie to me. It's just a movie that happens to take place on Christmas Eve. Nothing else about the movie was Christmassy to me. I think that if this movie happened at a different time of year, the movie plot wouldn't change at all. Make it a 4th of July, company potluck, and the rest of the movie can remain the same. The story being told didn't need Christmas, and while it had a nice, warm, and fuzzy ending that I liked, I didn't think there was a Linus moment in this movie. He appreciated his wife and his kids more, but not because of a realization of the true meaning of Christmas. It was because he was faced with the real possibility of never seeing them again. Again, I love the movie, it's just not a Christmas movie to me. I will say, this sort of touches on something that I have been meaning to talk about, about Die Hard, and I might as well throw it in here. It has always kind of bugged me. Like, after Die Hard, it's clear that Holly and John are going to get back together. In fact, in the sequel, they make it clear that John McClane has stopped being a New York cop and he's moved to L.A. And so now, him and Holly are back together again. But then in the third Die Hard, for some reason, John McClane is a New York cop again. And he has a fight with his wife on the phone, and we never see her in that entire movie. And then, when they finally got around to making Die Hard 4, they were just divorced, and she was never brought up again. So I always thought it was kind of a bummer that you watch that entire first movie about them getting back together, and then a few sequels later, they drop their relationship like it's the villain on the top of the Nakatomi Tower! Anyway, rant over, I'll get back to your emails now. In fact, to close out these emails, I've got one from Amy. Strap in, Amy is not playing around with this email. Amy says, I have been covertly binge listening to your podcast in the car since Halloween. My husband is really against any pre-Thanksgiving merriment, so I've been gobbling up your podcast like I'm eating ho-hos in my closet. That is a super funny image. <clears throat> I'm finally caught up and I'm ready to join in. I've gone back and forth on the Die Hard debate. It's not in my stable of Christmas movies. As other people have mentioned, it was a film that we'd often break out in early November when we needed a little Christmas, but didn't want to infringe on any post-Thanksgiving protocols. But I've been thinking about it, and I think the rules of Christmas itself dictate that we must consider it a Christmas movie, because there are people who do. This is a season that should be about caring for your fellow man, putting their happiness ahead of yours. And in that spirit, I'm willing to embrace Die Hard as a Christmas movie. Not for its content. I agree with an earlier listener who pointed out that killing 21-some-odd people is not Christmassy. But it is a Christmas movie in terms of what it does. The people who view Die Hard as a Christmas movie doubtless carve out time each year to watch it with their loved ones. Maybe they greet their neighbors as they arrive to their viewing parties with refrains of, Welcome to the party, pal! Isn't the time we set aside for each other at Christmas more important than nitpicking why and how we spend that time together? One of your listeners, Brian, I think, has mentioned that Die Hard is a Christmas movie for people who hate Christmas. I get what he means, but I don't think our yippee-ki-yayers hate Christmas. People who really hate Christmas grumble and bah humbug. They avoid everything Christmas altogether. The people who consider Die Hard a Christmas movie want to love Christmas, but something is holding them back from going full elf. I love everything Christmas, even those Hallmark Christmas movies. I know they are a bit saccharine, cheesy, I don't care. That's my personality. Other people have a harder time turning off that part of their brain that controls eye-rolling. Does that mean they should be shut out of Christmas fun? More importantly, there are people who want to love Christmas, but it's hard for them. It's a Wonderful Life and Rudolph conjure up warm, sweet memories of a happy home for me, but I know they conjure up difficult memories for others who've experienced loss around the holidays or whose childhoods were not as carefree as mine. The usual Christmas fare is tainted for them, or maybe their current situation makes it hard to swallow the hopeful, happy endings of most Christmas movies. Having a merry little Christmas for some people is like, like, well, it's like you show up for a Christmas party. You want to be there. You want to embrace your loved ones and tell them Merry Christmas and have that warm, fuzzy feeling. But it feels like you have to walk on glass and fight your way through a small army of hired guns in order to get there. 
Sometimes in our zeal and our love for Christmas, we can get awfully possessive of it as a holiday. We want our Christmas our way. But what could be less Christmassy than that? So my final determination is that if someone, anyone, is getting in the spirit of Christmas by watching Die Hard, I'm not going to nay their yay. I'm going to join in the fun on their terms. So in the spirit of Christmas itself, yippee-ki-yay. Amy, that is quite the argument. You may have a future in blogging, my dear lady. And finally, let's hear from the inventor of the Linus test himself, Brian. He left this comment on the last episode. I know it's rather late in the game for this, but I just came up with the term tomato Christmas flicks as an all-encompassing term for films like Die Hard, Gremlins, Night of the Comet, The Hateful Eight, Lethal Weapon, and others that you could technically call a Christmas movie. Just as a tomato is technically a fruit, you shouldn't be surprised if people get upset if you put it in your fruit salad. I like that. Another clever comparison. Is anyone else starting to think maybe Brian should be right in the show? Because he has a lot of good ideas. Well, I want to say thank you to everyone who has written in with their diehard opinions all year long. I really appreciate everyone taking time out to give this debate some thought, some creative thinking, and more than a few laughs along the way. I hope it's been as fun for you all to hear your fellow listeners' opinions as it has been for me to read them. But before we open the polls, I've got one last surprise. But to do it, I gotta leave the Christmas cave. You're leaving? You forgot we were still here, didn't you? Yeah, I did. That's what happens when you only give us a few lines and then don't write an exit scene. Well, I'm glad you're still here so you can look after the Christmas cave while I catch a ride to the North Pole. You're going to see Santa? Nope, I'm going right next door to Santa. The Fortress of Christmatude. Yeah, that's not a thing. Up, up, and jingle all the way! (laughs) That was quite a stretch! Here we are in the Fortress of Christmatude. I've come up here not only as an excuse to play some John Williams music, but to leave you with more opinions to help you choose a side in the great die-hard debate. I will now reference an obscure scene in Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, and use the crystals to summon the Council of Christmas Podcasters. Let us hear from the Christmas Past Podcast. Hey, it's Brian Earl from Christmas Past, and I have seen probably every Christmas movie ever made but I have to admit I've never seen Die Hard. That fact alone may suggest that it's not a Christmas movie, but I want to give it the benefit of the doubt and give you an opinion based admittedly on knowing very little about the film. But I do happen to know that Die Hard was a summer blockbuster, and it was released in July. This may sound like a strike against it being a Christmas movie, but did you know that Miracle on 34th Street was released in June when it debuted in 1947? Another thing I know is that it's a movie with a lot of violence, which could also be a strike against it. But to compare it to Miracle on 34th Street once again, that movie also contains scenes of violence. Santa clocks a guy over the head with his umbrella, for example. As far as I know, the reason this debate pops up at all is because the story itself takes place during the Christmas season. There's Christmas imagery in the movie, and the character wanting to get home safely to his family in time for Christmas is a running theme. So I guess the real question is, what makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie? Can a summer blockbuster with Christmassy references in it be considered a Christmas movie? Or does Christmas need to be a major plot thread? If you ask me, it's all about whether it puts you into the Christmas spirit, whether it's a song, a movie, a television show, or anything at all. So my final vote is yippee-ki-yay. And now let us hear from the Christmas Creeps podcast. Greetings, holiday shoppers. This is Joseph Wade from the Christmas Creeps podcast. Even though we've seen Die Hard movies that don't take place at Christmas, what makes the original Die Hard a quintessential piece of modern holiday cinema is John McClane's journey to reconnect with his family around the holidays. 
Hans Gruber and his crew threaten to separate John and Holly at gunpoint, just as Thornburg threatens the security of the McLean household by putting their children on television with the whole world watching. John's attempts to reconnect with his family make him a gun-toting, wisecracking George Bailey for the modern age. And as Beethoven's Ode to Joy cranks up as Hans Gruber's theme music, the stakes become no less than the sanctity of the holiday itself. By defeating Hans Gruber, John McLean almost literally saves Christmas. And with that in mind, we here at Christmas Creeps give Die Hard a hearty yippee Now let's hear from the Weird Christmas Podcast. This is Craig from WeirdChristmas.com. Look, Die Hard's a fun movie, and I don't have anything against action flicks in Christmas, as the geniuses from Mystery Science Theater put it. Hey, what, like a good action sequence don't belong at Christmas? Well, well no, it's just that I've never heard of an action sequence in a Christmas carol before. Yeah. Well, then grab hold of your socks and read on, Joel Robinson. I mean, because of those guys, I watch Roadhouse every December. It's a long story, look it up. But I don't call it a Christmas movie. Now, I know a lot of folk have really intricate explanations of why Die Hard absolutely is a Christmas movie. I mean, his wife's name's Holly, there's all the Christmas music, there's the snow, the now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 ugly Christmas sweater, I get it. But those are all just details, and they don't add up. And I don't even buy the most intricate sort of, oh, he's getting back with his family against the evils of capitalism way to look at it. For me, there's a simple test. Does it feel wrong to watch this movie when it's not Christmas time? If I try to pop on a Grinch or a year without a Santa Claus in the spring, I'm going to get itchy. But look, Die Hard came out in July, and I can watch it any time of the year and not feel like I'm somehow missing the great spirit of the season. So I know I'm supposed to be all for weird Christmas stuff, and this is probably a very Grinchy response, but I gotta go with yippee Kai nay And now let us hear from Tis the Podcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Julia. And I'm Tom. And we are the hosts of Tis the Podcast, the podcast dedicated to keeping the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year. We devoted an entire episode, episode five, to Die Hard and whether or not it is or is not a Christmas movie. So to chime in on Tim's question on whether or not this is a Christmas movie, we have unanimously and authoritatively decided... yippee <laughs> And finally, let's hear from My Merry Podcast at MyMerryChristmas.com. Hey, Tim, this is Jeff with the Merry Podcast of MyMerryChristmas.com. And thanks for bringing up this great topic for the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. In fact, I'm so happy about it. I'm going to give you a worldwide exclusive. Now, I've shared this story with a number of family members, but I've never put it out there before. And you're going to have it. This is my brush with fame, and it just happens to be with the one and only Bruce Willis. Now, I'm not the handsome young spring chicken that you are. That's why I hide behind a microphone. But I went to college in the mid-1980s, right around the time when Bruce Willis was, I think, in between his TV stardom and his film stardom. He was a regular customer where I worked. I was working up at the ski resort uh, during the winters, and that was how I got through school. And um, one of the jobs that they gave me there was to run at nighttime the only liquor store available for miles around to people there at the resort. I call it a store, but really it was more of an overgrown closet. And anybody who was seeking an adult beverage anywhere had to come to me. I was basically a bartender, and I think they gave me the job because they knew I wouldn't drink the inventory and I wouldn't steal it. But um, even the rich and famous had to come to me, and Bruce Willis was one of those. And I have a lot of different stories from that time of people that I met 
but he was by far one of the coolest. And I think the reason was, is he is uber talented. He can do things that most people have no idea. He's got talents in singing and in music. He can play several instruments. And there was a little bar um, just upstairs from where the liquor store was, and he would go there with his harmonica, literally show up with it in his pocket, and he would jam with whoever was playing. And so he was frequently there, and he came by the store all the time and got to know me on a first-name basis, just greatest guy in the world. And I remember a conversation I had with him one night, and I asked him what his upcoming projects were. And I want to say this was 86 or so, and uh, he said... I think I'm going to make a Christmas movie. And I'm like, really? You know, I, it didn't, didn't seem to fit with my image of him and maybe the image overall of him at the time. Um, he said, yeah, but it, it, it's not going to be like it's a wonderful life or anything like that. I mean, you'll feel good and you'll love it and you'll like it, but I get to I get to kill a few guys. And I thought, wow, a Christmas movie where you're killing people. I got to see this. And sure enough, it came out a year or so later, whatever it was. And I saw it, and I had to agree with Mr. Willis. It was a feel-good Christmas movie. For MyMerryChristmas.com, we're saying yippee-ki-yay. Many thanks to the Council of Christmas Podcasts. You can find all of them wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to Can'tWaitForChristmasPod.com, where I've posted links to all of these great shows. Like Christmas Pass is a podcast that explores the fascinating histories behind Christmas traditions. The 2017 season is already underway, so subscribe to Christmas Pass by Brian Earle wherever you get your podcasts. Christmas Creeps is a podcast dedicated to keeping the Christmas spirit alive year-round by watching terrible holiday movies and picking them apart and trying to find the true meaning of Christmas. Fair warning, though, Christmas Creeps is not a family program. All their hosts are probably on Santa's naughty list. Then you've got Weird Christmas, which started out as a Tumblr about vintage Christmas cards and now is a podcast about, well, the strangest vintage musical and historical things about your favorite holidays. Then there's Tis the Podcast, a podcast determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days a year. Each week they review a different Christmas movie or TV special, and they've incorporated listener Brian's Linus test into every episode of their show. Finally, there's the My Merry Podcast. I've talked about them before. Each episode features more than an hour of great entertainment, news, features, and trivia of all things Christmas. It should be noted that it is available exclusively for the premiere members at MyMerryChristmas.com, but... There's also the Merry Little Podcast, which is a shorter show, about 10 to 15 minutes, and it's available for everyone. So please, go out and enjoy all these shows and thank them for lending their time and talent to our diehard debate. But before you do that, you gotta vote! Go to can'twaitforchristmaspod.com and vote yippee-ki-yay or yippee-ki-nay. The polls will be open until December 14th, 2017, and we'll announce the results on our December 15th show. So get out and vote, and make sure all your friends and family vote. And then we'll decide once and for all, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? This is their idea of Christmas. I gotta be here for New Year's. (laughs) Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire... But I gotta get back to the Christmas cave, because I've got winners to announce. Welcome back. Thanks. Can you hand me that hat over there with the names in it? Uh, this one? Is there another hat with names in it? Hey, no one likes a smart Alec.
Fair enough. So, last time, we asked you to take to social media and post your favorite episodes of the show for a chance to win a personalized ornament from the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast store. Thank you to all who entered, and special thanks to the four new iTunes reviews we got. iTunes is still how most people find their podcasts, so the more of you who leave reviews there, the more new people can join our Christmas party. So, thank you. But now, let's draw the name. The winner of a personalized ornament from our Zazzle store is... Rachel, who posted about us on Twitter that her favorite episode was episode 20 of Visit from St. Nicholas. So congratulations, Rachel. I'll be contacting you through Twitter soon so you can pick which style of ornament you'd like and you can send me the photos and text you'd like me to add so you can have your own personal ornament to add to your collection from the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast store. But we're not done. Five runner-up winners will get a mini can of Can't Wait for Christmas hot cocoa mix, also available from our Zazzle store. Those runner-up winners are... Leslie from Facebook. Let's see. Scott from iTunes. Eric from Twitter. Jennifer from Twitter. And, oh dear. Thom from Twitter? Or Tom, and I'm pronouncing it wrong. Well, sorry, however you pronounce your name. Congratulations. Congratulations to all our winners. And another big thank you to everyone who entered and shared your favorite episode with your friends and family on social media. But now, it's time to wrap things up. But before we do, let me tell you what we have in store for December this year. Don't turn it off yet, Taylor. Our next regular episode will be on December 15th, so be sure and get your diehard votes in before then. But there's going to be a bonus episode coming out on December 1st. Can't Wait for Christmas is going to be a part of a huge Christmas crossover event spanning seven Christmas podcasts. It's seven pods for seven Santas. What does it mean? You'll have to find out on December 1st. Then, a few days before Christmas, there'll be another bonus episode, kind of in the same vein as the one we did last year. And keep your eye on the official Can't Wait for Christmas Twitter feed, at ChristmasPod. We'll be doing an advent calendar-style countdown of the most popular episodes of the show every day from December 1st till December 25th. So we'll be sliding down your pod chimney three times this December and all up in your tweets. If you're not subscribed on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a minute of the merriment. Also, be sure to vote as to whether or not Die Hard is or isn't a Christmas movie at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com and spread the word. Whether you're yippee Kaye or yippee Kai nay we need you to add your voice so we can solve this debate once and for all. Special thanks to everyone on the Christmas Podcast Council, Christmas Past, Christmas Creeps, Weird Christmas, Tis the Pod, and My Merry Podcast. You can find all their links in the show notes to this episode, so give them a listen and tell them Tim sent you. Okay, see you next week for the first December bonus episode, but until then, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2017. Oh. Ho, ho, ho! Thank you for listening to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on iTunes, or we're available on Stitcher and Google Play as well. If you'd like to leave a comment on this or any episode, go to our official website at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store, where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, bumper stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas merchandise all year long. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash can'twaitforchristmaspod. Or on Twitter, we are at ChristmasPod. Or you could always send us an email directly at Christmas at Tancast.com. The Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is part of the Tancast Podcast Network. 
We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band. And this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the Accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Kristen Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Oh, oh, oh. All right, let's do this here. Yeah, yeah. All right, you may have noticed uh, I have some sort of voice thing going on. Uh, I didn't notice it till just now when I started to record, but it seems like every year around November I get sick. I blame the children. They're all sick. But we will certainly revisit the idea of boy band Christmas albums in the future. But the mention of... Hmm, that's two butts. You can't have two butts, because it's only one pair of pants and they don't fit. Squap. However, if you change a butt to however, then you've got yourself a classy podcast. I don't think you know what the word classy means. Hey, I don't need you bugging me in the outtakes. In addition to Hanson, if you want to get a little more boy band action, hmm, I feel like that could be taken wrong if listened to out of context. But let's remember, kids, it's a Christmas podcast, so let's all keep our naughty thoughts to ourselves. Thank you. In addition to Hanson, if you want to get a little... In addition to Hanson, if you want to look... <laughs> now I don't want to say it, because I know someone out there is going to take it the wrong way. Don't take it the wrong way. Interestingly, 20th Century Fox had to contractually offer Bruce Willis... Interestingly, 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 (coughs) interestingly, I can't pronounce the word interestingly. Or the word word, because I just said bird. What? 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 Luella shared an Luella shared an Luella shared an uh, oh cuz there's no an Facebook event it's a Facebook event come on man you've had grammar girl on this podcast you can't be putting an in front of a consonant a consonant sound hmm you can listen to that episode it's early on in the grammar girl uh, archives If this is all sounding too one-sided to you, don't worry. I've got a yippee ki nay in here, too. It's from Charlene. 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 Ooh. I should have emailed her and asked her how to pronounce her name. Well, when I get an angry letter that says, you pronounced my name wrong, I know who it's going to be from. And authoritatively decided... We're sticking with that one. One more time, one more time. All right, we're going to call it good, guys. We're going to call it that one because your laugh makes it awesome. (laughs)